Welcome all, Steve Parisi here with IBC Global. Hope your day is off to a fantastic start as usual. So today we've got a guest on our podcast that I've worked with for a couple of years now. Uh, we've got Jerry Feta, who is the owner of Wealth Dynamics. Jerry, how's it going? Hey, Steve, I'm good. Good to talk to you again. Likewise, likewise. No, it's been a little bit since we connected and or we have been in touch, I should say, and you've been humming a mile a minute, right? Yeah, got yeah. to. <laughs> right <laughs> we, on. We go through those bouts of, of, I think we talk once every three or four months and every, yeah. every three or four months, both of us have just massively progressed. Yeah, right on. No, which is great, which is great. We had actually connected, uh, it was a couple of years back um, through a contact, a mutual contact at uh, Grant Cardone's office, Steve, uh, Steve Spray. I remember when I first connected with Grant, just talking about the industry, he's like, I, I know a guy who I think does something really similar to you and put us in touch and it turned out to be a great fit. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely. Well, thanks so much for your time today. I know you've got a lot going on. So a couple of things I wanted to talk about, because um, I think what you do actually complements what we do in a lot of ways, but you do much more than what my company does. We focus really on cash value life insurance. We've got a laser niche focus there. And when people ask us about other services, yeah, we can give them you know, some tips and such as I can provide more information. But as far as other services, we're not equipped there where you are <laughs> and you're, you're an expert in several areas. So I guess to begin, just to kind of give an overview I know what your company does, but if you want to give a just a quick overview of what your company does and some specialties, I think that would be a great, great start, starting point. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So, um, you know, we, we obviously we use the infinite banking concept as well. And, and that's kind of where you and I got introduced, as you mentioned. And um, so that's a big part of what we do. And then um, really our, our main purpose, what we deliver to, you know, clients, families that we're working with um, is a couple of things. So the first one is financial education, right? So we want to help a, a family become financially educated. Um, and so we have uh, books, courses. We have a program called Wealth Dynamics University. And um, it really dives into like the theory, the philosophy, the education behind all of the stuff that uh, we're applying and teaching. And for me, that was something I didn't get growing up. And I really craved it. When it came time to learn it, I didn't know where to go find it from. Gotcha. Um, so that kind of fills that in. And then the other one is, is actually building wealth. So we have, you know, uh, several products and services, anything from, you know, infinite banking concepts, um, private investment opportunities and in real estate. Um, we have our own tax firm. Uh, we have our own registered agent company, uh, gold and silver brokerage. So we, we basically, if it has a dollar sign in front of it, we can probably help. Um, <laughs> And the whole point of that is to help someone navigate their economic future with more certainty. We found, you know, early on in my career, I would set someone up with something and then they would have two or three other guys doing two or three other things, advising and two or three other, you know, mindsets or goals. And so we looked at really, if we're going to help someone get to the end goal, we have to, we have to build the runway. And that really is what my company focuses on um, with the intention of these clients, then helping others do the same and, and improving their lives too. Gotcha. Beautiful. Yeah. Kind of being that central go-to source instead of having an array of advisors where I work with you perhaps on life insurance. I've got a CPA, I've got a wealth manager and things are all over, all over the place. You don't have that synergy. A lot of people are lacking that because just different people have different mindsets to have one central source, which is what your company does is a great idea. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that really is the way wealthy people do it. Um, I've done a lot of studying on the top 1%. And what I learned is that the wealthy don't have financial advisors. They have something called a family office, mm-hmm. um, which is exactly what you just mentioned. It's synergy. Everyone is working on the same team. They're all focused on the same objective. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I'd like to go into that more a little bit too. Just that topic you mentioned of studying the 1%. That if, if someone just does that alone, and copies what they learn, they'll make it. Totally. You f- they figured it out already. And we always try and do things our own way. It's like, hey, they got it already. Just <laughs> learn, learn what they did. There's the model and put the pedal down. And it's right. not complex either. That's what I love is a lot of these guys did simple things that really just work. And, and I, think, I think the biggest hurdle is it's actually boring. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why people don't do it is it's like not the exciting thing, but it works. Yeah. Yeah. I would fully agree. I was just talking to someone um, yesterday, actually, I've worked with him for a while. He's well to do. He's in the top 1% and his background is not finance, but he uses his life experience. He's got a coaching business where he coaches other professionals on finance and how to get to his level. And it is so, so simple as like make more money, Spend less. You know, don't go buy stupid stuff when you can't afford it. Get rid of debt. Get out of that situation. And what was the other one? Oh, save money. Save money somewhere where you're going to have it. And then he's got be at peace with yourself. He, he likes throwing that in there. Yeah. So why don't we talk a, a little bit about, um, why don't we start a little bit how we connected with the, the banking concept? Because you had mentioned that actually. Because uh, one thing that I like to go into there is the whole idea of the banking concept. I mean, that's powerful as it teaches one how to use a high cash value life insurance policy as a financing tool. And there is, yeah, a ton of information out there. But one thing that I appreciate about your company, and I don't see this that much out there at all, is you'll practice that with your clients. Hey, here's how you use the policy. But at the same time, your focus is, okay, that's good, but here's how you maximize the cash value asset so you've got the most amount of capital from day one and long term in order to just move faster, accelerate the pace, which is valuable because, again, you don't see it a whole lot out there. And we connected. That was one thing immediately. You were already doing it. I was like, wow, I don't really see this that much. Um, but it's good that you guys are aiming to design policies in that manner where maximum cash value, maximum flexibility – if it's set up in that manner, first and foremost, the whole idea of the banking concept or using it for retirement down the road, whatever it might be, makes things so, so much easier. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was something like for me, uh, when we met you, it was like finding like my long lost, you know, cousin or something, you know, like, cause like you said, there's not a lot of people in the industry doing it the way that we're doing it. So, you know, we were working with several different agencies at the time. And uh, I can still remember the phone call. Steve texted me. I took the call and, and I didn't know who you were. So I thought you were another one of the, like, you know, the, the New York life guys that are always trying to recruit you. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, the, the partner always gives you a call and it's this <laughs> weird, I thought it was going to be that. And then I was like, oh, this guy actually might be able to help. And uh, so, so it was great because the companies that we've been working with prior, um, they didn't have the mindset of like real estate investing and they didn't have the mindset of passive income. So they were talking about how to go on a vacation with your cash value and buy a house with your cash value or buy a vehicle, which is all great. But that little bit of difference in mindset is, is the difference between a good policy design. And in my opinion, a lackluster policy design, 
Um, someone that gets the idea that we're trying to use it for this. And so it needs to be crisp 100% the right way the first time. And, and you had that. Gotcha. Yeah, no, likewise. And you guys are practicing the same thing. Yeah. And, and I love that fact, what you just mentioned there, where that slight difference there, and it kind of goes back to copying the 1% because uh, my background is designing policies for, I'll consider it the 1%, huge corporations. And when you see how they design policies, they won't call it to practice the banking concept. It's bully or coley. Yeah. 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 Pure bully or coley, or if it's a non-qualified deferred comp plan, they're structuring it in that manner. Give me the cash there. So I have it as an asset in the balance sheet and I can use it as time passes. Yeah. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about private placement, because that's one thing that in our first call, I remember you mentioning that and I had not had that much experience with it. And it's something that you guys do quite a bit of, correct? Yeah, it's one of our, it was our first with this company, our first line of business. And it's still wow. today is one of our main things. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I talk to individuals a lot that hear the term private placement and they say like, what is that? Like, how does it even work? Can you give me an overview? So I think that would be a good starting point. Like if I'm a consumer and I say, okay, what's this private placement you're talking about? Because this business owner down the street that's worth 30 million bucks just did it and he's good with money. Like what's he doing? So I can understand what he's doing and try and copy it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is a really good one. So before, before doing all this, I used to be just a normal financial advisor, yeah. right? So I, I had my, my licenses. So I was selling mutual funds and 401ks and stuff. And um, I, I started learning about, you know, some of the, some of the things that for me are our core values on things I'm trying to help people fight now, but I started learning about, you know, things on, on how manipulated the market is and how much manipulation there is just in the economy itself. And um, at that point, I realized like the, the way that I'm helping people invest is not actually helping them. It's actually transferring money from the middle class individual to the wealthy people via this product that's made by the wealthy people, um, you know, the mutual fund. So I, I started really looking at like, well, if I don't do this anymore, what else is there? And um, that's where I came into the private placement investment. So I, I, I had this guy in my life. He's still a partner of mine today, but his name's Chris. And I've known him since I was like 12 or 13. And he's been financially independent as long as I've known him. Um, his son was my best friend growing up. The guy just never worked. I'd come over to their house after school and he's home and, and they weren't poor. So I was like, he somehow has money, but he's not working. Yeah. So when I started thinking all this, I sat down with him and he started talking about real estate investing and I kind of always knew real estate was a thing. I was like, okay, that's, you know, a thing, but you know, a, like you got to get debt, you got to be a landlord, all this stuff. And he's like, no, I don't do it. He's like, I don't do any of that. I don't own fourplexes. I don't own single family homes. And so he started describing how he raises private money and he invests that private money in these huge deals. We're talking, you know, massive mobile home parks, apartment complexes, storage facilities. And so it's really like instant scale. Right. And so I started learning about that's where wealthy people primarily invest is they do, um, they're called private placement funds. And this goes all the way back to 1933 when the Securities Exchange Act was created. Um, the, the area that they left unregulated was private placement investments. And that area is where the top 1% primarily invest. And you got to kind of think with the viewpoint of if I'm a top 1%, I really don't want to own a fourplex or a duplex. Right. And, and if I'm a top one percenter, like I've got other things in my life going on. So it's not just my real estate that I want to manage. So what they'll do is they'll partner up and pool assets 
And then they'll go buy giant deals that they couldn't buy otherwise on their own. And, and you'll see that a lot happening where, um, you know, almost any big deal out there that's, that's happening in the multifamily space, the mobile home space, office and retail, they're almost always going to be owned by a fund. Yeah. And, and that's really the primary objective is it's true passive income. That fund is its own business. It runs everything. It manages everything. And the investor can just collect the, the gain or the benefit of being an investor. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very nice. So if I, I'm trying to think if a consumer, if someone's listening and thinking, okay, so I've got interest there with what you just said. How do I set that up for myself? So if I run a business or maybe I've got experience real, investing in real estate, but it's like a headache because I got to deal with, you know, tenants perhaps moving out, COVID hits, and I've got all this stuff going on. What are the benefits? Or if I say, okay, tell me more about this private placement or how would I set it up? Yeah. What, what would the, the steps there be or how would you incorporate that for me? Yeah. So, so it's kind of a unique area because they're unregulated. Um, again, this goes back to the Securities yeah. Exchange Act. And when I say unregulated, they still do get regulated, but they're not listing. They're not going on the New York Stock Exchange. They're not a mutual fund. So they register with the Securities Exchange Commission, but they're not going to go there like, like, a, like a Vanguard and then go and, and be part of your retirement fund. Gotcha. Um, so they're private. And so what, what, the, what the law says is because that is the case, often they can't advertise, which makes it really hard to find them, yeah. right? It's called private placement <laughs> investment. Yeah. So um, the first thing that I would do is I would find a, a broker or a finder. Um, and that's, that's like a me, like a guy that's connected with these funds and let them know what are your goals? What are you looking for? Um, you know, show them that you qualify. A lot of these, because they're not normal publicly open investments, you have to be you know, qualified or sophisticated or accredited. Um, so show that you've got, you know, the, the chips to go play. And then, you know, you can go start looking at some of these deals. And um, you, when I started looking at my mind was blown as a financial advisor, knowing what's out there and then seeing what these are, I was like, I can't believe this exists. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very nice. No, thanks for going into that. So who's, uh, I'll, I'll call it like an ideal client for that. So if someone's interested, when you look at a profile, where you've got to qualify for that. So an accredited invest, investor you mentioned. So I guess the ideal client, or it can be kind of a cutoff, like who would not qualify or just kind of setting that line to know, okay, if I want to get involved in that and I'm listening to this, what do I need to do in order to be able to work with someone like you that can say, okay, I can get you into this private placement over here into this deal. Yeah. So, so for us, we, again, look at that, the goal, what are we trying to ultimately accomplish? And for us, the entire reason of all of this is financial freedom, yeah. right? So um, for us, if we kind of work backwards, the minimum that someone needs to have for any deal like this is usually about 50 grand. Okay. Right. So that's kind of the first, like I need to have 50 grand that I, I can invest. I don't need it. You know, it can just be locked up for five years or 10 years, however long this deal is going to be. Gotcha. So okay. That's the first piece. Um, now, if we look at prior to that, I don't want that to be your only 50 grand. So I want you to have, you know, six months in reserve. So that way you're not like, hey, <laughs> I invested, but I'm broke. And, and, you know, now I lost my job because COVID and I can't pay my bills. So we want you to have six months in reserves. Um, and, and we want probably, a, you know, four to five months of that to be in a life insurance policy. Like we really want to see that you get the, the concept behind this because it's something we're going to use. So, um, that's kind of a prerequisite. And then prior to that, we also want to see that you have no debt. 
Um, when I say no debt, I mean no consumer debt, no debt that doesn't pay for itself. And um, really the entire purpose of that is if I'm investing, primarily it's for passive income. So if I, if I look at my cash on cash return, if I put in this and I'm going to get this, usually I'm going to get a better yield on paying off debt. So it just accelerates things. If I can get rid of the debt, free up even more cash flow, then do the investing later on. Um, so those are the big ones. And then the Fed has some, some qualifications on um, sometimes you need to have a $250,000 net worth. Sometimes you need to have a million dollar net worth. It all kind of depends on how the deal is structured. Um, th those are ones I have to follow just by nature of law, but my real requirements are the first two or three that I mentioned. Okay. Gotcha. No, appreciate that. Thanks for, for pro providing some detail there. I think that'll help a lot. Um, so a couple other things that, that your group does that I appreciate because it's kind of against the grain in a lot of ways. When you look at financial advisors um, or other financial professionals, I always hear you want to keep a lot of debt, extend it to free up more cash flow, to put into savings and such. And really the goal is to just take more money and allocate it towards savings, how the financial advisor might pitch the overall plan. And, and those work sometimes too. But hearing someone says, hey, we like to see someone without debt. So you're kind of going back to call it old school, well before you and I were born. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Save money, get rid of your debt. And when you look at individuals that have done that, I mean, they are at that level where they're call it at the top of the food chain. They're not burdened by debt. They're not thinking, okay, I got to get rid of this first. They can just make decisions. They, they got peace of mind from a financial standpoint. Um, so when it comes to, to debt, is your mentality or should say your company's mindset to clear debt first and then save? Or do you kind of try and do both simultaneously? If you say, hey, this guy might need to build up a buffer here. Let's try and attack both kind of at the same time. Yeah, that's a really good question. So when someone has consumer debt, and when I say that, I mean car, car loan, credit cards, student loan, you know, all of the above. Yeah. Uh, we don't really go after the mortgage. Like that's something we'll, we'll look at uh, handling later. But um, when someone has those types of, of debt balances, um, generally, like we'll, we're going to help them pay it off with their life insurance. Right. So, so we almost do a combination of like the old school, you know, Dave Ramsey debt snowball, but we're going to actually borrow from the cash value of the life insurance policy to, to get rid of those debt balances. So it kind of um, what it does, because the, the, the root cause of debt and this is where so many people get confused. The root cause of debt is not debt. The root cause of debt is lack of money. At one point, I didn't have savings. I didn't have income. I didn't have my own money, so I had to borrow yours. And that's where I got into debt. So if we fix the debt, but not the thing that caused the debt, then we're going to end up back in debt. Right. So <laughs> simple, right? But, yep. um, but so what we do is we tell people, let's line up your debt, smallest balance, large to largest balance all the way down. Let's fund your policy until you've got enough in there so we can wipe out the entirety of the, the smallest balance in one swoop. Now, as we're accumulating during that period, we now also have reserves. You know, until I take that loan, I've got two grand, three grand, whatever the balance is. Um, now, intermittently when I borrow and then pay off the debt, yeah, I don't have reserves anymore, but now that credit card is freed up. And if something did happen, God forbid, I could go charge it back on the card. But my goal is now I've freed up the payment and I'm going to go put that back in my policy and build that cash value up again. Yeah. So it's kind of just like, you know, this, this intermittent, let's build it up, borrow against it, build it up, borrow against it. Um, and I, so I start with money and then I also end with money. Cause as you know, that cash value grew the entire time I did that. Um, 
And it, sure, it might take a little longer, but what I found is most people weren't doing this anyways. Yeah. So uh, compared to what, you know, it was going to be 50 years. Like we could, sure, we could say, let's not use a policy, but you weren't doing that in the first place. Right. So let's look at what's the smartest way to get there, regardless of how long it takes. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And also, I mean, and this is where I really like cash value life insurance, aside from the design is once a dollar passes through that, that policy, through the cash value that is, it's forever compounding for you. <clears throat> yeah, and about yeah. a 3 to 5% annual rate too. Yeah, yeah, especially when you look at historical actual yields, which I, I like that you do that. Look at the actual data, not just the projections, which that's another topic. Uh, yeah. Well, that yeah. was one. I want to hit this really quick because as an agent, right. that was one you helped me on tremendously. I could never figure out what a, what the dividend actually was. Because oh, yeah. as you know, there's the gross rate yeah. and then there's like the net rate. Mm-hmm. And then the yield of the dividend is also different than compounding annual growth rate. That's a totally different measurement. Yeah. So I was like, and then some companies disclose it. We were working with, um, I think it was security mutual. They don't even declare their dividend rate. They just tell you if it went up or went down. So it was like very little transparency. Uh And uh, you were the only person that was willing to go over that with me and like, you know, help figure out, okay, yeah, it says six, but the client actually maybe makes four and a half. Right. And and show the numbers rather than, because the problem is, is if it's four and a half and the interest's five, well, that's negative arbitrage spread. So if I'm touting the borrow thing and it's negative, then my pitch just went away. So a lot of advisors won't confront that. No, it's not six. It's probably three to five. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's the key right there. They want to avoid the confrontation. The instant you take, so take some companies that have a 6% dividend today or a little bit higher, which sounds fantastic. Go back five to eight years, there's a 7% dividend. But then that's that's not what you're really earning on a policy. Same thing with the guarantee. So when you look at a dividend rate, how I'll always explain it <clears throat> is that that is a gross rate that is credited to a policyholder after the cost of insurance and the mortality charges. And when you look at those illustrations, that dividend column does not often even include the guarantee. It's just the surplus. So it's like you're reading stereo instructions. If you're in the business, a lot of times, let alone not in the business <laughs> with everything going on. Um, but yeah, it's interesting when you break that down and it's that is one thing I really appreciate call it with your company, call it with every area, the transparency, you know, with that comment in the life insurance, hey, that three to 5% looking at actual data, that in my mind is an accurate statement based off a of history and what's going on. You can put that, you can put that out there and say, hey, it's what you can expect on the internal rate of return here and not worry about dividend rates going down it underperforming and now your clients ticked off at you or anything like that which happens a lot in the industry just because it could be fear of showing a lower dividend rate and losing the sale that happens all the time. Yeah. 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 And it comes, it comes back to like the, the infinite banking, you know, concept is a, yeah. is a, it's a process that you have to follow mm-hmm. and, and it actually involves for me paying my loans back. Right. So that's the thing is, is I can still have positive arbitrage on a policy when I borrow arbitrage, meaning the difference between what I borrow and what I pay. And um, the way that that's going to happen is if I pay my principal back on a schedule. So that way, instead of paying the gross interest rate, I'm paying an effective interest rate of maybe two to three percent. Right. So my, my the thing I love showing people what to do is finance their own car. You borrow 30 grand out buy the vehicle. You know, if you do it right, you get the tax write off too. Right. But my, my 30 grand will still earn three to 5%, you know, internal return 
But if I am paying myself a car payment as well of three or 400 bucks a month, that's paying down my policy principal. And when I measure my actual interest dollars, it's like two to 3%. And sometimes I can write those off and reduce that even more due to the taxes. Then it does work. But that's, a, that's an actual like practice, not just like a pitch. Correct. Fully agreed. And the benefits to using a cash value insurance product, because it always remains at work for you, is in the event that we're someone that, I want this to sound wrong, might lack discipline, or if we know if we purchase something with cash, we're not going to pay it back because I don't have to worry about it. Where if you have that discipline and the life insurance policy, you've, you've got the option to pay it back. But when you have that policy loan and say, okay, I'm going to treat it as if I'm going to pay back a lender and you take that approach, that's where an individual says, okay, I don't want to track all the finances, but I pulled this money out, I paid it back, I'm, I'm back to where I would have been otherwise. The time, just the interest just kept on churning. This is great. Yeah, you can do a lot with that. One, one thing, and we touched on it maybe a little bit with the private placement, but what I wanted to touch on um, is really when you, you guys work with a lot of real estate investors, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so what are some, some services, call it, that you'll provide there or advice that you'll give them? Because we get them all the time um, utilizing cash value life insurance and we'll talk we'll discuss strategies hey here's how you can purchase a property here's how you use 50 percent cash value 50 percent financing and ways to attack the loan balance and the, the balance for the mortgage lender but that's about it because again my focus it's a laser focus on the cash value insurance product um you do much more than that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> You want to go go into a little bit just as far as what what kind of stuff you do for real estate investors or things you offer for someone that might want to get involved. Totally, yeah. So when somebody is is going to invest uh, in real estate, I I always recommend um, that that they if they can use their policy, right? Take a loan against the policy because we just talked about you know the example of buying a car with it. Well, a car is not really, in my opinion, an asset. It's going to go down in value. Um, but if we're talking about real estate or, or one of these private placement deals, that actually pays me. Yeah. So now we're talking about the idea of I can earn money in two locations at the same time, um, which is really sweet. And if you do that right, that truly is the case. Yeah. And um, so, so that's the first thing is I would, I would show people the long-term mindset of, and we actually will do this. We'll show them if you just do real estate with cash, this is what it's going to look like in 30 years, right? Now, if you do real estate with cash value, and, and you do the same 30 years, you end up with more money 100% of the time. And, and that really is what it's about is I show people the entire goal of financial freedom is obviously for me to become financially free. But when that happens, then it becomes generational wealth. Yeah. So if I already know that that's going to be the, the objective in, in 10 years or 15 years, why don't I do something that already is geared towards that? Yeah. And so that's, that's really the first thing now with, with actual like investing itself, um, when, and this is why I like the private placements. When somebody's using their life insurance, I don't want them to be in a position where they have too much outgo on their real estate, meaning they've got a policy loan interest, they've got actual interest on their mortgage, uh, all of these different things they have to pay. And so that's where I am a proponent of if you're going to finance, do a big down payment. You know, you're, you're buying cash flow. Every time you put money down, you're buying cash flow. And it's counter to this mindset. And I don't know if you see it, but the 0% down, 3% yeah. down, you know, buying a deal on a credit card, like just really, um, it, it's, it's kind of just 
like the shortcut that's not yeah. actually going to be short. It's going to make things much longer and harder. But if you can just put big boy money down. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> so, so that's the discussion I have. And we would use their policy to do that. Um, and, and, and the concept of a life insurance policy really can be done with other assets too. So this is another way that you can practice the banking concept even with real estate. It's the idea of having an asset getting an interest only loan or collateral line of credit against that asset, borrowing against it and then doing smart things with that line of credit. Sure. Um, there's mortgages that exist that are built almost exactly the same way. And so that's a, a parallel that I like to make is if we can practice the banking concept with life insurance, which for all intents and purposes is the safe one. It cannot yeah. lose money. The variable rate's not gonna hurt me. Like my dividends are guaranteed to happen or my guaranteed dividends are, are guaranteed to happen the surplus has happened for like 170 years. So that's as close as you can get. Um, yeah. That's, that's one that teaches me the habit. And then I could go do something with like a home equity line of credit on a property. Um, or if you look at, um, you know, a big player in the space, Grant Cardone, all of his mortgages are 10 year interest only. Mm -hmm. so it's the same concept of, you know, collateralizing an asset. He refinances his cash out frequently, just like we would do with the banking concept. So it almost teaches you the right behavior as a real estate investor so that you can begin to do this with other assets down the road. And it's not the first time you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Excellent example there. I like how you used grants too, uh, because I think why so many real estate investors resonate with this concept and are attracted to cash value life insurance is because of exactly what you just said. They're doing it already typically with property and lines of credit. However, here's a nice alternative that has some guarantees associated with it and is extremely liquid in the life insurance product. So, you know, I'm a component, I'm a believer in if you've got something that's working, keep doing it. Don't try and fix it, you know, and say just abandon that. Like if you're very successful with leveraging real estate, keep doing that. But then if this is a nice way to complement what you're doing, build up a nice liquid private contract. That cash value in there is completely secure from everything and anything out there. <laughs> so it's got, nice. It, it really is. So now you've got that to complement what you're doing that just gives you the ability to move faster, especially if you've got that business owner mentality where, you know, speeds everything. The faster you can grow, the better you're going to do at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what you've seen, even just with, with your history and background in the industry, when banks do whole life, um, they keep the type of money they keep in it is called their tier one capital. So it's like mm -hmm. their most prized reserves. Yeah. So when I talk to real estate investors, a lot of times their tier one capital, like their money market, their prized reserves, it's in like a high yield savings account or a capital one three sixty or, yeah. you know, uh, and it's, it's maybe paying them one to 2%. But the problem with that is, is a, that rate can change any time. Um, a lot of times it's an intro just to get you in the account. And then B, if I take the money out, I don't get that anymore. And, and, and really like when I'm saving with a bank and this is ever since 2008 happened, a deposit into a bank account is an unsecured loan. I'm no longer the owner of the money. The bank is, mm -hmm. and they don't have to pay me back. And sure there's FDIC insurance, but there's only a 1% uh, insurance, like actual set aside to cover the deposits in the world. So that's not going to work. And the federal government said, next time you guys screw up, you're going to do a bail in, not a bailout, which means your depositors will pay for it. So if I've got more than 250 grand in there, I'm at risk versus with a life insurance company. Like, you know, you already know the stringent reserve requirements, the state guarantee agencies, like it's very, very secure. And 
that's where I would want my tier one capital. If nothing else, I would want my tier one capital there, not in a bank. Yeah. And that's the bank doesn't even keep it in the bank. Yeah. That's why the banks put it over there. Um, you know, without going into details, we set up a, a bank owned life insurance product earlier this year. What was funny, uh, I say funny, as soon as COVID hit, a little bit after when the whole interest rate environment, it was just getting slashed and going down, is you get a text from an executive there that says, hey, we've got X amount of dollars that we need to move over ASAP because they knew what was happening and insurance companies were adjusting their bully products like, okay, let's get in now and lock in that rate. Bully's a little different from the traditional product, but they did just that because they knew what was happening in the interest rate environment. They had their finger on the pulse. They've got relationships with individuals at the Fed and like, okay, let's do what we need to do now to lock in what we want in this safe, secure area where we can position a boatload of cash. Yeah. Yeah. And really, that goes back to where we started. And this will be a good ending spot, ending point as well, is copying the 1%, the people with the money that have it figured out already. How do you execute that? And it's really studying them, like you said. And that's so much, so much more than studying what they do with their money. I like studying what actions they take, how they make decisions. I was listening to Jeff Bezos the other day and how he would... You know, they've always got a laser, laser focus on the consumer where he talks about when he talks to other CEOs, they might, they might state that they have that focus on the consumer, but he's like, I can tell they have a laser focus on their competitor and it just distracts them and they don't move forward. So there is a non-monetary habit of someone that does pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Owner of Amazon pretty well. But if you look at that, it's like, okay, he's just trying to improve the client experience, all of his clients' consumers call him. And then as a result, from a monetary standpoint, he's number one. So it's the same thing when you study their habits and such, which I'm you know this already. <laughs> yeah. That everything else follows. But also, you know, it's so much more studying what they do with their money, how they use it, how they position it there. What else are they doing in addition to just the life insurance? The real estate has always been a popular area because you've got the control element. Um, but the fact that you study that and actually teach people how to execute those steps, you don't see it that much out there. It's more so just traditional. Here's advice. Here's what to do because everyone else is doing it versus, well, Here's what an Uncle G does, a Grant Cardone. Here's what you know, Amazon does. I always look at them. Here's what people are doing with their money and the actual steps they're taking. Here's how you can do something similar. Yeah, and I and I love that that um, that mindset, especially you know with with the life insurance, because because people know about the real estate, they know about the stocks. The one that I feel like is the secret, you know, if you can call it that, is just not talked about by the wealthy people that much, but they all use it. It's the life insurance. Yeah. You know, you go back and you can see consistently over and over and over and over and over these wealthy families use it. No one would guess and no one would suspect, but it's the common thread. It, it really is. And there's, in my mind, several reasons why a lot of people don't know. It could be, it is a complex product, especially when you start doing what your company does with designing the product for maximum cash value. It's simple, right, to you and I, because we know it, how to do that. But from a consumer side, especially someone that wants to understand it, like they say, okay, I see the numbers, that's all well and good, but maybe they're, they're an analyzer, they've got an engineering background, and they want to know it, that's perfectly fine. Like I, I love going through that stuff. But 
it is a complex product to someone brand new in that respect. So it takes more time and just going through it, giving them the, the same opportunity to learn about it like we wanted to learn about it. It takes some time in the beginning. So that that could be one reason why it's not as well known because when you set it up for maximum cash value, it does become a little more complex. There's a couple of things you got to you know watch out for with the MEC limit, the insurance company limits, all that stuff. Yeah, that's where we come in though. That's <laughs> right the on. benefit of having an agent. I don't think that this product will ever be the automated e-commerce, you know, buy it on Amazon. I think you'll always need a mm -hmm. professional to help design it. Yeah, that, that always crosses my mind just with the levels of complexity and different variables. I, I, I'd agree with you. It's something. Mm -hmm. Well, anything else you wanted to touch on? I know we covered a lot there. I think we hit everything. I think we did. I think we covered a lot of topics. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything else in particular, but okay. it's great, great uh, chatting it up. And I love having these kind of conversations. Likewise. Likewise. Yeah. And if everyone, if anyone wants to get a hold of Jerry, we've got his contact info, uh, his phone number and our website and the link below, feel free to reach out anytime or you can email uh, my company. We can introduce you to um, Jerry or anyone on his team. And we'd love to talk to you. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. Really appreciate your time. And we'll talk to you again in the future, I'm sure. All right. Thanks, Steve. All right. Thank you. Enjoy. Yeah.